It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and this is episode 13 of the Red Seat. Today, as usual, on his rotation day, I am joined by Matt Corey of Baseball Prospectus Boston and of Vice Sports. Uh, Matt, how's it going, man? I'm doing good, Jake. How's things? Things are good. Things are really good because today we've got a special guest who's going to be joining us, uh, a guest who is a beat writer for the Red Sox. Uh, you may have heard of him, Brian McPherson uh, of the Providence Journal, and he's going to be joining us on the Red Seat shortly. Um, so that's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, the Red Sox kind of have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to beat writers, but um, the Providence Journal with with uh, Brian and, and Tim Britton uh, are really fantastic. So it's a, it's a privilege to talk to Brian whenever uh, whenever we can. Yeah, he he does tremendous work and. Um, Really one of our favorite guys to uh, read and listen to. Uh, he has his own podcast as well, Super 2 Podcast. So uh, that's a great listen uh, to add to your repertoire. Joining us now on the red seat is Brian McPherson uh, of the Providence Journal. Uh, he's a beat writer over there. Um, you can follow Brian uh, on Twitter at, at BrianMacP uh, and read his articles at ProvidenceJournal.com. Brian, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Uh, you know, we've been better, right, Matt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we're sucks. both getting pretty tired of watching the Red Sox lose. Not just lose, but just get destroyed from the very beginning. It's it's shades of like uh, you know the the chicken and beer uh, you know September or or whatever that was. That well, uh, didn't. Didn't you watch what the Red Sox did in Oakland in like what was it early May and just think like I wonder what it would like to be like to be on that side? No, I don't think that. I just I'm like yay and then I go about my day. Yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, they probably weren't supposed to kind of take like the sympathetic position there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to be honest. I didn't think like that either. It's been really ugly. Just to give the numbers to people and put them in perspective a little bit, uh, this 13-7 loss uh, caps off. Uh, losing six out of eight and dropping to nine and fifteen in June for the Red Sox. Uh, the big story of tonight is, of course, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez giving up nine earned runs. Um, and later on, I guess uh, he was demoted to AAA. So, can you confirm that he was demoted, Brian? Yeah, he was. He was optioned. Um, there's no counter move yet, but 
I mean, they have an off day on Thursday, so I don't know for sure. I mean, it's kind of because of that, honestly, he could keep his spot in the rotation if they really wanted. Have him go down and make one start for the Paw Sox and basically come up and almost stay on turn um, because because they have that off day. Um, but certainly what he's doing now is not working. There's nothing fluky about this. And he's a young pitcher who's who's got some stuff to work on, and development is not linear. So, you know, he may not come back. I mean, they may decide to go with somebody else when that turn next comes up. But, yeah, he's on his way back to the minor leagues. He's got some stuff to figure out with that slider, with his the command of his fastball, with a few different things. Yeah, one of the oddest things about watching him so far has been his uh, lack of use of that slider. Um, have you been able to figure out anything as to why he hasn't had faith in that pitch as of late? I mean, he's just not hes not able to throw where he wants to. I think that's the big thing. Is he's just When he's throwing it, it's not that good. And that's what's preventing him from throwing it. He's, I mean, he's got so much faith in his changeup, and it's such a good changeup. I mean, tonight the issue, like, you want him to use all his pitches, but, like, he's got to command his fastball. And to me, that's the big thing is he was throwing fastballs right down in the middle of the plate. Um, and that's you just you're not going to – it doesn't matter what pitches you throw. It doesn't matter what else you do. If, if you're not able to use the edges of the plate, you know, you're going to you're gonna be in trouble. And that's what, that's what we're seeing from what Eduardo Rodriguez. Like, he's got a good changeup. The slider can come, but he's not using his fastball very effectively. He's throwing it harder, but he's not commanding it, and that's why it's getting hit. Like it's you know it's not even an issue of walks really. It's just an issue of guys squaring up pitches over and over. Do you think Ryan that this comes back to the knee at all in any way? I don't think so. I mean, in a way it does because the start of this season has been so weird and interrupted, and just there was a sense from people who were watching him in Pawtucket that like. That this it could be kind of a thing that lingered all year, and I don't mean the pain. I just mean that like, just the odd start, start and stop, and change his mechanics and trying to figure things out, like that it was just not going to be a good year for him. That this was not a thing where he was going to come back and just pick up where he left off. And the fact that it took so long to come back kind of spoke to that. You know, it seemed like at the beginning, going through a regular spring training, he should have been ready by May first, and instead it was really ready by late May. And, you know, we've seen the results so far. The knee, I think, is is sort of the first thing that got things going. But I think there's, at this point, there's more to it than that. There's, you know, his, his mechanics are not sound, and that's not necessarily a knee thing. It, it may be a something he did while he was trying to compensate for the knee um, right. that he's now got to go fix. But I don't I don't think his knee is, is still hurting him, I would say. So with, with him having these struggles and, Obviously, other members of the Red Sox rotation that have been plugged in there at various times having struggles. Uh, Matt and I got our heads together before the show, and we tried to think of possible options that could come up and fill the void for Eduardo. Um, three names came to mind for me. Um, Elias, uh, who did get the start for the Red Sox uh, last week. Um, Sean O'Sullivan, who's been pitching okay. And then the most interesting guy of those three probably uh, is Aaron Wilkerson, uh, who got the start tonight for Pawtucket and pitched pretty well. Uh, Brian, do you think any of those three guys could potentially be an option? At this point, probably Wilkerson's first on the list. I mean, Elias is in a weird place because he had been pitching well at Pawtucket and then came up. He just got shelled. Like, in their, if you're looking to avoid what's been happening, which is early deficits, which is starters getting pummeled and coming out of the game early. Like, even though it was only one start and that's the ultimate small sample, like it's really hard to then turn back to the guy who came up and then his one start just got shelled. Right. So that's the, I don't see Elias getting that shot. Sean O'Sullivan was such, he was just, he was a space filler when he was up. He's the definition of a minor league journeyman. And it, I don't see him coming back up. I really think he was almost a, like, we cannot have Henry Owens pitching for this team anymore if he's watching six guys a start, so we need somebody. Let's just go get Sean O'Sullivan because we can't have Henry Owens up here anymore. And obviously you left him off your list, and the fact that he's still, you know, he walked five guys last time at Pawtucket, yeah, he's not. I don't think he's on the list either. I think if they're going to replace him internally, and at this point, certainly when we talk to John Farrell, you know, all he's looking at is internal. He's not... He's not in the trade room, you know. He's—I'm sure Dave Dombrowski's keeping him apprised, but you know he's not able to go out and get somebody the way Dombrowski might. And Dombrowski has said that it's you know too early for there to be enough sellers to go get that starting pitcher they need. Um, if somebody's going to get a call, it's probably going to be Wilkerson, who's got a very intriguing backstory, coming out of independent ball, has pretty good numbers and I mean really good numbers in AAA. 
um, having eight strikeouts, no walks in seven innings tonight. I'm a little skeptical. Um, I saw him his last start, and in fairness, I saw him in his worst start of the season. But he didn't have his curveball at all. Like the team he was facing just didn't swing at curveballs. They didn't. They didn't need to. He couldn't throw it for a strike. So that was a little ominous. He's basically a fastball cutter um, when he didn't have the curveball. And the fastball is 89-90, and, you know, it's got some late life to it. It's got kind of that a little bit of that Koji jump at the end. There's some deception, and probably, you know, there's there's elements to the spin rate that I would imagine are similar to Koji's, that, you know, make 89 look like 92. But at the same time, if all you have is 92 plus a cutter, I don't, I don't know that that's going to play at the major league level, but at this point, given what else they've seen and given how good his numbers have been, like, you know, it does make sense to give him a shot eventually. Yeah, it's certainly a scary prospect to think of the Red Sox having to turn to a guy like that. And you're right, the stuff doesn't sound like it's going to be overpowering enough that it's going to play at the major league level. All we can do, I guess, right now is hope. But I I mean, but the thing is, like, those AAA numbers, a lot of times they mean something, especially for a youngish guy. Like, I know he's 27, so that's where the... You know, the single-A, double-A numbers didn't matter that much. But, like, we didn't expect that much out of Daniel Nava, and he was a pretty good player for a few years. Brian, uh, can you talk at all about Justin Haley? Is is he uh, any kind of option? I really couldn't talk that educatedly about Justin Haley. Um, I, I can't either, so that's why I asked. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that's one that is he – did he get called up to Pawtucket in the he, last week or two? He did. He's had a couple starts there, um, one that went well and one that went very poorly. Yeah, I think certainly Wilkerson's ahead of him, and I would think Elias would be ahead of him too um, at this stage. That's, so That sounds fair. Um, I, I just, uh, yeah, there, there's just, it, it, it's, there's so few, <laughs> I can't even put a coherent sentence together. There's so few uh, actual uh, people that we have. Uh, not not seen fail at the major league level already, um, and so you know you're starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel. Like, well, maybe they could bring up you know an 18 year old and just throw him in there because you know Eddie Goodell walked once that worked. Uh, why not? I mean, the disintegration of basically two waves of pitching prospects, and even more than that, is a really like it's a really compelling reason for this team finding itself where it is. And obviously, you know, this year they're having a pretty good year so far. They're still right in the thick of the wild card hunt. They're not nearly far enough out of first place to worry that much. Um, but finishing last back-to-back years, like you look at the Anthony Renato, Brandon Workman, Drake Britton group of pitchers that has basically produced Matt Barnes as a pretty good middle reliever, but not a dominant middle, not a dominant reliever. And, Maybe you hope Brandon Workman can turn into something, but frankly, he wasn't that effective as a reliever even when he was healthy. So, you know, that group didn't make it. You know, Alan Webster, Ruby De La Rosa, all they did was, you know, you were you consider yourself fortunate to get Wade Miley back for them in a trade. And now this latest group with Owens really kind of looking like he's not going to be anything until he can learn to throw strikes, and that's a dubious proposition. And, you know, Elias wasn't very good, and Brian Johnson's dealing with something now. So... Like, the pitching depth, basically, other than Stephen Wright, who's absolutely been a godsend for this team, you know, anybody who has been pitching in the upper levels of the minor leagues for them in the last couple of years has given them nothing. Like, there's there's been nothing that's come out of that come out of, out of that system. And, you know, you look at the teams that are good. You look at Tampa when it was really good. Like, they were just pumping pitcher after pitcher out of their pitcher out of their, out of their farm system. And, yeah. you know, there was a time the Red Sox got some guys. They got John Lester. They got Clay Buckles. They brought up Justin Masterson. You know, they, they brought up options that could help you in situations like this. And this team for several years has not had that. And, you know, there's nothing really on the horizon, you know, like you alluded to until Espinosa and Kopech, really. Isn't isn't this kind of an argument against making all the trades that Red Sox Twitter is just jumping up and down and screaming for? Uh, I, I, I would think that that's this is exactly why you want to hold on to Anderson Espinosa. This is exactly why you want to hold on to Michael Kopech. This is exactly why you want to sign Jason Grom. Um, I don't, am I wrong? I mean, I mean, yes and no, no and yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, really what you have to do is evaluate them accurately and trade the ones that aren't going to be that good. And, you know, obviously that is so much easier said than done, but, you know, I've said several times that I think that's why Dave Dombrowski got hired. Like, 
he traded Jacob Turner for Annabelle Sanchez when Jacob Turner was a really good prospect, and Jacob Turner turned into nothing. Right. And he traded Andrew Miller for uh, Miguel Cabrera when Andrew Miller was one of the top pitching prospects in the game. And, you know, Andrew Miller has turned into a really good late-inning reliever, but it took like five years, and still you would make that trade 100 times out of 100. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's that's where, you know, you want Dabrowski to get to know these guys. And, yeah, certainly if there's any chance that Espinosa turns into an ace, like you hang on to him and Kopech too, but maybe he doesn't, and maybe you can get something. And, you know, on the flip side, this is a team now that has a lot going for it. It's got a good young core. Um, it's got a, you know, it's got a start closer that you invested a lot in. It's got an ace that you invested a lot in. It's got David Ortiz, who is no small factor in this, because if you're going to go for it any year that it's dubious, it's David Ortiz's last year. So, especially given how far away those guys are, like if there are doubts about them, honestly, it could be a, like, let's push a lot of chips to the center of the table right now for the sake of David Ortiz's last year. And then, you know, sign Jason Grome and be better at developing pitchers um, going forward. Do you think that if they were to, to take it, take all of those prospects that they have, say they traded, you know, two or three of the big four to go land a big fish like Jose Fernandez, with all the holes that have already presented themselves in this current edition of the Red Sox team, is that type of a star acquisition going to have enough of um, oomph to it to, to turn the tables here? I mean, you're right that – I mean, it's funny, the holes. Like, the holes right now to me are left field and, like, 60% of the starting rotation. But, you know, the position players, like, it's a good lineup, and it's basically the same lineup that was crushing the ball earlier this year. It's, you're right. It's it's hard to say that Jose Fernandez himself is going to fix this when, you know, they've gone the last four guys. I think, I'm trying to remember, I did the math earlier and I'm trying to remember, but I think they've given up somewhere on the order of like 35 runs. You know, some of them are unearned, but, you know, they still gave up the runs um, in their last, in like 21 innings in these last four starts, which is just terrible all the way around. Um, so, yeah, Jose Fernandez himself can't the spot of Clay Buckholz and of Eduardo Rodriguez and of Rick Porcello. So you're right. I mean, that was sort of the argument against signing someone like David Price or making a trade for Cole Hamels way back in the day in the first place is that one ace doesn't solve pitching depth issues. And when this team has been good, it's been because they've had several good pitchers. You remember 2004, that rotation was so good, top to bottom, one through five. And, you know, that's that's part of the issue is that, you know, Porcello's been as good as you probably could have hoped and Stephen Wright, like I said, has been phenomenal. Price is coming around. But, you know, they've got probably two really rough patches, two rough spots that you'd really like to upgrade. And, you know, maybe you get a stud starting pitcher like a Sonny Gray and he replaces the Eduardo Rodriguez spot. And then you hope you can patch it together with other guys. And you don't need that fifth spot in the playoffs. But, yeah, one guy to, you know, long story short, one guy is not going to fix the problems this team has. And the other thing is, I don't even see that there is one guy available who is is really a great fit. I mean, at least this offseason, you know, when the Red Sox went after Price, you could say, okay, yeah, there's just an amazing amount of money at play here. But it's not going to cost him a first-round pick. Um, you know, he's willing to come to Boston. Uh, you know, he's the best pitcher on the market, blah, blah, blah. This guy is is a, is a perfect fit for what we need. There, there doesn't seem to be that guy available. Um, there's not a lot of teams, as Dombrowski talked about recently, there's not a lot of teams looking to make deals yet. The Marlins are actually leading the National Wild Card, so why would they trade Fernandez? Um, and, you know, Sonny Gray is sort of the shorthand around here for um, for a good pitcher who might be available, but he's actually not been good this year. <laughs> so I don't understand, like, why would we give up the amount of prospects and treasure that it would take to to get Sonny Gray specifically um, when uh, he's not he's not pitching well he's going to come in and and you know a five ERA is better than what the Red Sox have been getting from their four and five rotation spots but but that's not worth Yon Mankata and et cetera et cetera yeah it's not and certainly if if the A's are not getting you know last year's Sonny Gray worth the t- talent back for him if they're not selling high on him. They're certainly not. There's no reason for them to do a cut rate deal on Sonny Gray, given how much control they have, um, yeah, save exactly. with Atlanta and Tehran. So, yeah, you're right. It's it's hard to see that happening. Um, and then you're right, too. There's not much else out there. Rich Hill's been on the DL for a little while, and, you know, it was already, like, 
I told you a lot that Rich Hill was like in the top two of pitchers potentially available. Right. You know, you look at some of these other names, like maybe the Angels do something with Matt Shoemaker, try and sell high on him based on what he's become. But, you know, maybe they hang on to him because he's just that interesting. Maybe the um, Phillies trade Jeremy Hellickson. And, and that's, I mean, Hellickson's kind of the the best example of a guy who's incredibly uninspiring. But like you said, a five ERA at this point would be better than what they're getting. So, you know, he certainly isn't going to catch cost you somebody off, you know, that top four or five prospects, you know, Kopech being the fifth guy of the guys you'd really rather not trade. And if you trade them, it's, you've really got to get some impact back. Um, you know, Hellickson would probably cost you less than that. It's not going to get the fan base fired up, but it could be enough to kind of stabilize things. And, you know, there is something to be said for that, too. We saw, I mean, that's the eternal lesson for from 2011 for for me was that like a starting pitcher who has an ERA in the upper fours can be immensely valuable because that team fell apart because they you know like this team kind of ran out of starting pitching they just didn't have enough options they were running out Kyle Weiland and Andrew Miller when he was starting and just they didn't have anybody who could like keep them in games and you know in some ways that's all this Red Sox team needs because the offense will be better than it's been it's you know they just they need some guys who are going to keep them in games not just get obliterated the way some of these starters have yeah, I wanted to get your take on the, the the way that the clubhouse feels right now and what the atmosphere's been. So we've we've gone through a, a bit of a losing period in June, like we mentioned, and you've sort of drawn comparisons here to the 2011 team with the pitching. I want to know how this particular version of the team has felt to be around them. Does this feel like 2013 when the Red Sox were building a strong winning environment, or does this feel like more of the same of 2014, 2015, when um, there really wasn't a whole lot going well for the club. It's I have a hard time reading clubhouses, I'll be honest, and it's the causation, correlation, chicken and egg element of it is really hard for me too, just because like you know you just you don't know how much of 2013 was because they were so good and how much of it was. Um, you know, because they all really liked each other and 2011, same thing. Like, you know, there were some guys that weren't real happy to be there, but, you know, as the, when they were playing well, as they were for a lot of the season, that didn't seem to matter. I think this team likes each other. I think it's, I mean, it looks like a really good dynamic just because you've got such a young core. Those young guys love each other. Like, I think there's a clip that's made the rounds now of Mookie Betts like hugging Devin Marrero or Marrero hugging Mookie Betts after his home run the other night and that's so genuine and Travis Shaw and Swihart when he was here and Bogarts and those guys like they really really like playing with each other and that's and that's a big thing and then you know then you get someone like Pedroia who sets the tone and it's interesting to see him be the guy who's very animated towards um, Eduardo Rodriguez on the mound tonight because you don't see that a lot from him, but when he does, it carries a lot of weight. And he's got that intensity, but it's also a very positive intensity. Like this was, it was clear that that was not a like you're terrible. What are you doing? That was a like forget about what's happening. Get your head on straight. Get better. Get some outs. Keep pitching. You can do this, which is a productive thing, you know, to hear from a joy. And then of course Ortiz. Everybody on the roster loves Ortiz. It's I think the clubhouse is fine. I mean, I don't know if it's 2013, but I don't know. I mean, tw- I don't know how much of 2013 is kind of narrative driven anyway. I think this is the clubhouse is, is good enough to win a championship. They just, I mean, they just need to pitch better. So ha- has the attitude uh, of the team towards Clay Buckholtz been any different? Because I, it's been noticeable, at least in my opinion, how Farrell has reacted to Clay Buckholtz, you know, coming to get the ball from him. Uh, after disastrous start, after terrible start. Um, has there been any change in that dynamic as far as you've seen? I don't think so. I mean, the starting, the pitchers are a little bit, I mean, you see them interact a little bit less. Um, they're all kind of quieter as a group. Price is certainly not like a rah-rah guy. Um, but he's, you know, he's well-liked. And, you know, we haven't, it's been interesting. I haven't seen a ton to kind of back up all the conversation about him and, you know, taking charge of the pitching staff. You know, that was sort of a big part of the narrative when he came in was that he was a guy that was, that, you know, I mean, I have seen him watching bullpens. I have seen him conversing with guys, but we haven't really seen sort of, you know, maybe that was overplayed when it came. We haven't seen the guy that was going to be like the second pitching coach and the captain of the pitching staff and really get behind everybody and all that. It's just that really hasn't been visible. Porcello is a pretty quiet guy. I mean, the thing about Buckles is he's in such a, he's having such a tough time 
you know, he's basically trying to save his career at this point. So he's, he certainly is not in a real happy place, but I don't, again, I think that just has to do with performing and you know, these guys just need to pitch better. And I think when they do well, they're fine. Um, I don't know. It's, I just have a really hard time figuring out the extent to which how much guys like each other really matters. Um, especially because it's never going to be separated from performance. Right. It, it is a bit of an individual game within a, you know, within a, a lot of things happening together. Um, it, so judging that and how it can affect the whole is pretty much an impossible task, it seems like. But one of the things that we have pointed to a lot during this show uh, as a, a bit of an issue with the Red Sox so far this season has been the consistency of their relief pitchers. And then tonight, again, um, obviously with Eduardo going only 2.2 innings, um, the Red Sox had to rely on a number of relief pitchers again. And yet again, Koji Uihara struggled giving up two earned runs and just an inning pitched. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, why haven't the Red Sox made what I think we all think is an obvious move here in transitioning uh, Joe Kelly or uh, Elias into a relief role. It seems like getting one or both of these guys in there as a reliever would certainly be an upgrade to a unit that's been used uh, quite a bit this year already. Um, you know, why do you think that hasn't happened, and do you think that that would improve the unit? So the big thing is that Kelly still isn't healthy. Um, he he's dealing with a groin thing. He's still just throwing off a flat ground. So he's and that's come along more slowly than expected. Um, and that's kind of another reminder of, you know, he's he's had trouble staying healthy in his career. And, you know, that's sort of a data point you've got to consider. I was I've been on the Kelly as a starter bandwagon, I think, as much as anybody has. And part of my rationale for that is just this belief that you look at you look at what he's got in terms of the pitch mix, in terms of the velocity. And I just part of my thinking is like, if it doesn't work as a starter, why would it work as a reliever? Like, it's the same You'd be using fewer pitches, and he wouldn't be throwing any harder probably. He already throws 98-99 as a starter. So that was always my thinking. Um, but certainly, at least for this season, and given his health issues, um, I could be convinced going forward that the bullpen is the best place for him. Yeah, they have a need in the starting rotation, but you're right. They have a need in the bullpen, too. You know, Some of those middle relief guys really have pitched pretty well, like, Heath Henry and Matt Barnes, I don't think you expected them to be this effective. And, you know, those two guys plus Tommy Lane were the ones that made Friday's comeback possible. You know, they were tremendous in that game. And they've done that They've done that quite a bit this year, you know, those long, those long relief innings. And that's been really important. But in terms of insurance for Koji Uihara and Junichi Tozawa in the back of the bullpen, both of whom have kind of looked vulnerable, I think I have to think when Joe Kelly gets healthy, that's what happens. Like, it doesn't make sense to swing a huge trade. To, to trade major prospects to go get a reliever before you've tried Joe Kelly in the bullpen. That one just seems a little too obvious, even though you could put him back in the starting rotation because there's a need there. I think that's had results that are negative enough that it's probably worth at least for this year packing that in. You know, Maybe you stretch him back out again next spring. Maybe you don't. But, yeah, I think I, if this team makes the playoffs, I would be very surprised if Joe Kelly's not in its bullpen come October. Can I throw one more name at you? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. All right, yay. Uh, I legitimately was going to not do that. Uh, Go Pat, ahead. Pat Light, uh, we talked, to, I think, a lot about him in the offseason. You know, he's a very promising arm, uh, and he came up to AAA finally and, and uh, seemed to hit a little bit of a wall. But he's turned it around since uh, since then and had a good amount of success. Um no runs. I just just looking at his his last ten uh, outings here. He's throwing twelve innings, giving up six hits, thirteen strikeouts, four walks, um, no runs. If I said that or not, um, and uh, you know, given where the Red Sox are in the rotation or in the sorry in the in the bullpen, is is he uh, is he an option? Do you think? Yeah, I would think so. And honestly, I wonder if he could be an option as soon as Tuesday. Um, because they sent down Eduardo Rodriguez, there was no counter move. I think Light threw two innings maybe on Sunday. I don't remember when he last pitched, so maybe he wouldn't be available. So maybe they no, wait right. on him. That's right. Two innings on Sunday. 
Okay, so there's a chance he wouldn't be available right away. But yeah, I think your your overarching point is, I think, accurate that Light has pitched his way back into consideration that earlier in this year he wasn't throwing strikes, he wasn't commanding the fastball, and you know, he's he's a two-pitch reliever, um, as most of them are. And you know if he's going to throw that hard and try and pitch off of his fastball with his splitter, he's got to throw the fastball for strikes, and he wasn't doing that earlier this year, and he's doing that now. And you know I think there was it, – it's hard because you see some of these prospect um, kind of trajectories play out. And it, I mean, I haven't done this long enough to kind of see all the different ways it can go. So I have to always watch out for assuming something's going to go the way I think it's going to go. Like I saw Eduardo Rodriguez last year and I was like, Hey, that's kind of like John Lester in 07, like breaking his way in and, you know, a right. real highly touted lefty getting his feet under him. And he was even better than John Lester in 07. And look at what John Lester did in 08. By the end of the year, he was starting game one of the playoff series. So there's no reason Eduardo Rodriguez can't be the two in this rotation and get Cy Young votes. And yeah, that's not happening. So, no. I mean, so my point being that you look at Pat Light and you think, hey, couldn't he be Justin Masterson 08 or Daniel Bard 09? Like they had they had these guys come up and threw hard and just dominated and you eased them in. But by the end of the season, they're really critical parts of the bullpen. And I absolutely kind of looked at Pat light and said like, you know, why couldn't he do that? Like that's, that's the sort of thing that they could really use. And that hasn't happened, but there's still time for that to play out. And yeah, if he comes up soon and starts to get some outs and starts to get some confidence. Yeah. I could absolutely see a scenario where, you know, you still don't really want like Pat light being the primary setup man for, for Kimbrel if that's what it comes down to. And that's why I still think there could be a trade for a reliever at some point. Um, but yeah, he's pitched his way back into at least getting a chance to kind of audition for, for a late inning role, you know, especially if you end up losing, losing somebody, you know, you losing Uehara um, to injury that, you know, Pat Light could still could yet be an important piece for this team down the stretch. I feel like with, um, with light, with, uh, Kyle Martin, with, um, uh, uh, Joe Kelly, if he ever gets healthy with Elias, they have they have some guys who could potentially get outs out of the bullpen. And Wilkerson uh, too, I would say. Like that's the yeah. thing, as with his pitch mix, you know, that was one thing I was thinking too that it may not be a starter where he ends up in the majors. He could be a reliever too. Right, right. Um, but it strikes me that they have options out of the bullpen potentially somewhere in the organization. They don't have to necessarily go out and make a trade. Whereas in the uh, in the starting rotation. Um, unless you're talking about Wilkerson, unless Wilkerson is going to come up and because his name starts with W, pitch exactly like Stephen Wright, uh, or as effectively as Stephen Wright, then uh, if you know, short of that, then then they really do need somebody else to come out for or to come to the organization from outside of it. Um, yeah, that, that's. I don't know what you have to say to that, but that's what, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's a good question. And I mean, yes, you're right. I mean, yes, we're just, we're just talking and yes, that, yes, that is absolutely correct. And it's, I mean, that's the thing about this team. And that's, we kind of alluded to the starting depth earlier, but like the fact that they came into this season, they didn't, you know, they went and got David price and that's all they did. And some people wanted them to go get like a Shelby Miller. And obviously right. the price for that was clearly prohibitive. But, too much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but the point being, like, there were plenty of people who look pretty good now because they were saying, look, this starting rotation is not good enough as constituted. And I was in that camp that was like, look at all these guys you have. Like, you've got Price should be good, um, Porcello should be better, and Eduardo Rodriguez should be good. Like, that's I was I was obviously bullish on him, like I alluded to. And then the back end of the rotation, like, Buckles was good last year. Like, he got hurt, but you sort of figure you're going to get a half a season of good Clay Buckles. Yeah. You know, you don't expect 200 innings, but if you get half a season of at least a decent Clay Buckles, that's fine. Joe Kelly's in, you know, slotted in for that fifth spot. Steven Wright is in place, who you feel pretty good about at least keeping you in games. You don't expect this, but... He was on, like last year, he was on a run of just like five and two-thirds. Early this season, too, it was like five and two-thirds, two-thirds, two runs allowed. Like out of a number five starter, that's wonderful. You take that every time. And then you've got um, Brian Johnson, you've got Henry Owens, and you've got Elias, then you've got these guys, and you just figure, like, you'll find five from that group. And, I mean, that's really the story. Like, we've kind of talked about this already, but that's the story of this season right now for me is that, you know, they had – they had quantity and they haven't been able to pull quality from it. And I don't know if that's a mistake. I don't know if that's just sort of 
if you do that every once in a while, you know, you're going to roll a six or whatever, you know, roll a seven in craps. I, I actually don't know how to play craps, but I think rolling seven is sort of bad, right? <laughs> You'll get no help from me there. I have no idea about craps. But what anyway. I do know is that this sounds like a 10 percentile projection of what we expected from the Red Sox starters this year. It just it, – it feels a lot like a worst-case scenario. Yeah, and it's, in, and it's interesting – no, Sorry, saying, the, no, it's fine. I think the Red Sox agree with you, Brian. I mean, they they traded Wade Miley for Carson Smith. I think that is a statement of you know we have enough starting pitching, right? I mean, that that means that, right? And absolutely, yeah. And and part of it too is roster considerations. Like you couldn't stash Stephen Wright to start. You couldn't. It would have been really hard to not have both Wright and Kelly in the starting rotation unless you were just going to make Kelly a reliever, in which case he's not starting depth anyway. Um, you've taken him out of consideration there, but you really, I mean, unless you're going to have Kelly start in triple a, and that always seemed kind of far fetched, but you're right. It's just Jake, you're right. It's a, it's a 10th percentile projection. And, you know, in that way it's reminiscent of 2014. I remember sort of talking to Ben Charrington about this, that, you know, the thing that really sunk them in 2014 was that they knew that there was the possibility for some growing pains with these three young guys that were trying to bring in, work in, and in Jackie Bradley juniors, Andrew Bogarts and Will Middlebrooks. And it's just, was there the possibility that all three of them would be terrible? I mean, sure, but how likely was that? They'd seen Pedroia come up and do well. They'd seen Ellsbury come up and do well. They'd seen guys around the league come up and do well. Like, this is how you get good as an organization is by working young players in. And the fact that Bradley was so terrible they had to send him down, the fact that Bogarts was awful for three months, the fact that Middlebrooks is, you know, just was awful and has, his career has just gone nowhere. Like, I don't... A, I don't know if you can predict that, and B, I don't know how well you cover for that, because it's not like you can load up AAA with guys just waiting to be there just in case Jackie Riley fails in 2014, right. or, you know, load up, you know, there's reasons Sean O'Sullivan's the best kind of minor league free agent guy they had in their starting rotation. Like, you're not going to get good starting pitchers happy to sit at Pawtucket and wait on a team that already had Elias and Owens and Wright and Kelly, like... It's just, why would anybody good do that when there's plenty of teams where they're going to get opportunities where even if it's just sort of space fillers on a bad team until the prospects are ready. And this is where like, you just, you need to develop these guys and you're not, you, you alluded to sort of not trading these guys. And obviously that's kind of a, that, that is an argument for that. It's, it's an eternal balance, but if you don't trade your, I mean, you want them, you need them to pan out. That's the big thing is that these guys haven't panned out, but you know, ideally you're just, you just have these waves of, of guys that basically you can force to stay in Pawtucket. You can force them to be in Pawtucket because they're under your control, like, you know, like Elias now. And that's why getting him in the Miley trade at the time looked so important because you still, you didn't completely deplete your starting depth because you had a guy that you could stash away very easily. You know, unlike Stephen Wright, who you couldn't stash away, you could stash away Elias in Pawtucket. And he may yet be important for them, but yeah, that just this 10th percentile outcome. And I, I just don't know how they would have covered for it better. You know, you, Yes, you could have gone out and signed or traded for a number two starter, but on the other hand, like if you get that number two starter, like if or if you bring back Rich Hill, like that's kind of the that's everyone's favorite one, or at least was when Hill was healthy, was you know, how can you let Rich Hill go and have him instead of Clay Buckles? Like, you know, sorry, it's not Clay Buckles who would have lost his rotation spot if Rich Hill was on this team, it's Stephen Wright. Like Stephen Wright was the last right. guy going in. Um, and if Rich Hill's healthy, Stephen Wright's the long man in the bullpen out of spring training. Like if we're if we're being realistic about this that's how it would have gone. And so honestly, you're not really any better than you are right now. Brian, what point do the Red Sox actually start looking at this organizational failure to develop pitchers that you've spoken about? And obviously this goes back a few years at this point, really probably back to guys that were drafted by Theo. Um, you know, what do they do to fix this? Is it a developmental thing? Is it a scouting thing? How do they assess something like this and then go forward from there? Because Obviously, they aren't getting that internal help. I mean, you ask the when. The when, I think, was last fall when they hired Brian Bannister in his current role. Like, that's – I think that's that's what they need him to do. That's what they want him to do. And the problem is, you know, if the cupboard was bare and, you know, part of the problem is, you know, I talked about a, a couple of waves of pitchers. Like, the next wave already has kind of washed out. The Jamie Callahan, Ty Buttrey group that you would have thought, you know, Teddy Stankowitz, I think, still offers some intrigue, and Trey Ball may yet be coming alive. He had a, he's had a nice start to his season at Salem. I think he's still 23. Is he 23? He 20, no, he's like, 21. He's probably yeah. 
he's I mean, getting he, results, but the walks and strikeouts are awful. But at least he's like, there's some hope there, maybe, which is more than you can say for a Callahan. And Butcher's yeah. already moved to the bullpen. Like, so the point being, like, yeah, that's already like one of your better guys from that generation. So, you yeah. know, there was nothing someone like Bannister was going to do. You know, what you really need him to do is help you develop Kopech and Espinosa as they come. What you need him to do is help you hit on Jason Grum. Right. Um, some of that, obviously, he fell into their lap. You know, you don't necessarily know that's going to happen, but they need to rebuild the cupboard because the cupboard pitching wise has been so bare. And that's what they hired Bannister to do to help them scout these guys, help them evaluate these guys. Obviously, obviously it's really difficult, but I remember looking around, maybe it was last year, just the last time every organization developed some sort of really good, um, you know, like just a competent 200 inning or 30 start or, you know, 110 ERA plus kind of major league starting pitcher. And the last time the Red Sox produced one was Clay Buckles who debuted in 2007, like, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez, A, they didn't draft, and B, you know, it doesn't really count yet. And everybody else just, you know, they, there's been at least somebody, you know, the just all these random teams, like with the Diamondbacks, it was Wade Miley. And, you know, if, if the Red Sox could have produced their own Wade Miley from one of these guys, if Alan Webster could have been Wade Miley himself, like, they'd be in a much better place now. So, I mean, it's, it's a really difficult it's a really difficult question to answer, but that the hiring of Bannister in particular was a big step towards answering it. There is one commonality. Well, there's probably many commonalities, but one specific one that stands out to me in all, in all those years that um, we just talked about um, the, the person in charge of the major league roster or the major league team has been John Farrell. Um, and I, I, I am certainly not advocating for anything, but as the losses mount and the ridiculousness of the of the losses the losses mount, um, is there any thought to? You know what I'm saying. <laughs> to giving him a raise. Yes, that's it. A <laughs> uh, nice a nice gold watch for John Farrell. No. I, it's, it's, yeah, I, I mean I don't know, and that's another one, sort of like Clubhouse. I don't know when the right time is to to give a manager a gold watch, but it's, it's, I mean, you look at the way they're losing now and, you know, you use the word ridiculous and it is, but it's not ridiculous in like a, like, how could this, it's not like clownish. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Bobby Valentine had to go that year. Like it was just everything about that season screamed like, you know, this is not the right manager for this team. This is ridiculous. Like this, Things he was saying, things he was doing, you know, the players didn't care. He didn't get along with staff. Like, that was just so beyond obvious. But at this point, like, Eduardo Rodriguez is throwing fastballs down the middle. Like, David Price the other night wasn't commanding. Stephen Wright couldn't throw his knuckleball for a strike to save his life. Like, Clay Buckles was throwing pitches down the middle. Like, what's John Farrell going to do? I mean, yes, he's a former pitching coach, but that's not his job now. That's you know, it, you know, you can talk about Carl Willis. I don't know about firing coaches either. That's another thing that's hard because so much of it's behind closed doors. But um, that's not John Farrell's job to fix the pitching staff. It's John Farrell's job to best deploy the pitching staff. And you know, you it can question individual. What's that? It, it kind of is his job. I mean, I, I don't mean it's entirely 100% his fault at all. I wouldn't even say it's 50% his fault. But as the as the manager, is you know, I mean. Like you just laid out a, a list of problems for all those guys, and it involved the same thing for each guy. Now that's not necessarily to say that there's one easy fix for every major league pitcher, and all Farrell have to do is think it up at night over hot cocoa, and and the Red Sox will suddenly go on a run. But uh, but he is the manager. He's he. It is his job to not only put the players in position to win, but to uh, to help them put themselves in position to win. Yeah, I mean, and that's where it's that's where it's hard to know, you know, the extent to which he is setting the right tone. It seems like he is. It certainly doesn't seem like these guys have too much pressure on themselves, you know, outward or you know, pressure coming from the outside. I mean, certainly, you know, it's awkward now because the starting pitchers kind of, you know, the pressure builds with every terrible outing. The next guy's really got to be good. Um, I don't know. It's I, I just I don't know. And that's I imagine that's one of the hardest things for a general manager to do, too. Like, it's easy enough to demote Eduardo Rodriguez when he gets hit like this. Right. But, you know, to to fire John Farrell and replace him with Tori Lovello. Oh, you, know, you said it. Midseason. You said, I didn't say it. You said it. 
Hey, oh, sorry, you were talking about people. hot cocoa. I thought we were talking about a, a, a fire, like campfire. We were going to do <laughs> marshmallows and all that. Um, like, I don't know, like, what's that going to change? Tori Lavelle is going to do the same thing. And, you know, maybe you could say they played a lot better with Tori Lavelle last year. And in some ways they did. But, I mean, they played pretty well with John Farrell earlier this year. And then kind of the same things happened that happened late last season, too, is that Bradley slumped and Shaw slumped. And all of a sudden they weren't quite as good anymore. It sends yeah. a message, but I mean, does this team need a message sent? Like, do you think Clay Buckles like would pitch better if like he felt more urgency? Do you think? I mean, there's been urgency all year. These guys, people have lost their jobs that would not normally lose their jobs, going all the way back to Sandoval and Sean spring training. Like, it's very clear. Clay Buckles went to the bullpen. They didn't give him a phantom DL stint to kind of save some face and get himself fixed. They they demoted him. They kind of slapped him in the face a little bit. He said he took it as a slap in the face. So firing a manager is so often used to to send a message like that. And I just, I don't know if this is a team that needs a message sent. I just think it's a team that, you know, in some ways just needs help from Dave Dombrowski. Do you think that Dave Dombrowski has no option but to go out and make a deal? Because we were talking about this pre-show. And, you know, there's just, there's so much to be said on either side of the coin, whether or not they should continue to keep and develop these guys and hope that some of the changes that they've made with Bannister, like you mentioned, um, helps some of these top pitching prospects and hitting prospects um, fulfill their potential. But at this point, like you said, it's David Ortiz's last season. They're still within striking distance right now. It seems like if they are going to make a move that it should happen sooner rather than later. What's your gut feeling here? Do you think that Dombrowski is gearing up to make one of those big moves? I, I think he's gearing up to make several moves. I mean, that's what – it's Dave Dombrowski. Like, this is what <laughs> – I mean, this is what he does. This is what he's here for. Like, let's not think he's going to change who he is. And that doesn't mean he's going to be reckless necessarily. He's been a very good trader in his career. His His record is really pretty good. You know, in terms of like, you know, remember when he went and got Doug Fister from Seattle for basically nothing? Yep. You know, that a deal like that would be phenomenal, and that's where like you can't you can't predict what he's going to do, but you know that's the that's the sort of deal, and and like the Annabelle Sanchez deal for Jacob Turner I mentioned earlier, like those are the sorts of deals that really encourage you and make you feel like something good can happen. But yeah, they didn't hire him to stand pat. You know, the last guy Ben Charrington was a stand pat, be conservative guy, and they replaced him. So I, I would expect Dave Dombrowski to make moves. It's, you know, we've talked about how there's not much out there. I still expect him to do something, and I probably, I would say it's likely that he does touch that top four or five prospects, and that's, I think, part of his season has had to be to evaluate those guys, see what he thinks, um, and see if other people value value them more than he does. I think you probably hang on to Yohan Moncada if you can, because it really sounds like he's just just a force of nature who could be a superstar if you believe Ben Intendi is Jackie Bradley of this year all over, like if you think he's that kind of player, like you hang on to him. And if you think he's kind of a, you know, 260 with 12 homers, sort of good defensive outfielder and somebody else thinks he's better, like maybe you trade him. Like that's that's what you have to do when you have these prospects. It's not about keeping them and or about trading them. It's about keeping the right ones and trading the right ones. And, you know, if you believe that Moncada is the future at third base, for example, because where else is he going to play? And that means that Devers is a little more, you know, tradable than otherwise. And somebody really likes that power potential. Maybe he's the maybe he's the cornerstone of a deal for a starting pitcher. And then, you know, the deal that I've felt like makes a lot of sense is, you know, that shouldn't cost them too much is go get someone like John Jay from San Diego, um, leading the National League in doubles to be your platoon partner with Chris Young when he gets healthy in left field. So all of a sudden you've you've made sort of a lower key deal for a left fielder. You've made one deal for a starting pitcher that, you know, maybe takes Devers and one other really good piece, but, you know, not Espinosa or Kopech, and gone and gotten a starting pitcher, put Joe Kelly in the bullpen, get Brock Holt back so that he's a guy off the bench, get Blake Swihart back hopefully so he's a guy off the bench, and all of a sudden this roster looks a lot better. But, yeah, I don't think standing Pat's going to be an option for Dabrowski. Yeah, you just fixed the Red Sox in like 30 seconds right there. That was impressive. You're welcome. <laughs> um, you know, in the interest of letting uh, Brian go to bed here because he is joining us from Tampa after the game, uh, I just wanted to ask you one more question. This one is about the catching situation with the Red Sox. It's obviously become quite a bit more muddied lately with Vasquez getting sent down, Leon uh, being starting catcher as of right now. 
Um, Hannigan's coming back soon. Blake Swihart should come back soon. Um, if you've followed any of our opinions at all, um, we've mostly been saying that we think Blake Swihart should be the starting catcher for this team uh, because of the bat and his defense is close enough. But I wanted to get your take on what you thought the long-term uh, shakeout of that position would be. My sense is that Dave Dombrowski does not like Blake Swihart's defense. That's kind of, I mean, it, it's all a little bit small sample. Um, for Swihart, certainly earlier this year, it was very small sample, though don't forget he had last year to evaluate. He had spring training to evaluate, which, you know, the Ruzne-Castillo situation made clear that Dave Dombrowski does take spring training evaluation, not necessarily stats, but, you know, what you're seeing very, very seriously. And I don't, I don't think he likes Swihart's defense. And that's why, I mean, it was really interesting when Swihart came back to play left field. Like, there was just, they treated him like a left fielder. They, he didn't, he hardly didn't, I don't think he did drills. And he didn't, like, they said he caught a bullpen every once in a while, but, like, he was not ever an option to catch. Like, it was really interesting that Farrell didn't catch him once every week or once every 10 days just to kind of keep that part of his game fresh. So, that's my sense is, you know, and that's probably from Dombrowski because, you know, that's such a pivot from, the Ben Charrington era, era that they, you know, they prized him so much. And that's why I wonder, like, I mean, that's why losing him is such a, a challenging thing coming into the trade deadline, because he really looked like he was going to be that trade chip that if he was out of favor with Dombrowski, but still a really highly regarded athletic young catcher who, if he had, you know, maybe there's a team that thinks he can still, you know, he's young and athletic and not that experienced that he would get there defensively. And like you guys said, the the bat's good. It seemed like he would be that chip that, you know, you could do like Swihart endeavors and that would get you Sonny Gray. Like that was the right. sort of prospect. That was sort of the sort of prospect package. Probably you add a little bit on the back end the way they did with Margot and Guerra and the Kimbrel deal. But like that's the sort of realistic package that gets you Sonny Gray without costing you guys that you really don't want to trade. And the injury takes makes that a little more difficult, though. I'm sure they're hopeful he gets back before the trade deadline. I don't know that he's going to. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's the guy long-term. I think Christian Vasquez's offensive struggles are ominous, but then again, this is his first season back after missing all of last year. And I think they're inclined to excuse it for that reason a little bit. That may be why they're willing to send him down. I don't know for sure they're going to send him down. Um, when Hannigan gets healthy, like it's, that's probably what you do to maintain depth because we've seen how quickly depth can go. I mean, that's the reason that Leon and Hannigan were the two catchers, Basically, on opening day last year, like that was those were the catchers. Hannigan caught opening day, and Leon was the backup. And you know now I think you really can't catch Hannigan more than two or three days a week. And maybe Leon can catch. I mean, he probably can catch regularly. He's he's young enough. And the only questions were with the bat, and the bat's been pretty good. He had home run tonight. And, you know he's you know his average fell for a little while, but I think it's back up to 470. So it's right where you'd expect him to be. Um, he's he's a looks like a good player and certainly he's good enough that, you know, I don't think you DFA him so that you can keep Vasquez. I don't know if he's your long-term starter either. I think right now they're just trying to kind of stay afloat with the catchers that they have. And the hope is that Vasquez will come around with the bat. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see, but I think, yeah, short term, probably Vasquez goes down long-term. I think they're still hoping that he's the guy. I think they really like the defense. Um, and they're hopeful that as, as he gets further removed from that time off, that he'll be better. But, you know, his the lack of offense from that bat from him, you know, has really that's contributed to some of these offensive these nights that they haven't gotten enough offensively. Like they've had some of these some of these guys have gone south a little bit and had been hotter earlier. And Vasquez counts as one of them like he really hasn't given them much offensively lately. Yeah, it's going to be interesting if if they do indeed pivot towards Vasquez for the future and that bat does not ever come around the Red Sox are suddenly going to be looking for that next catcher of the future. So, and I don't know where that comes. The organization certainly doesn't look to have that with Austin Ray at this point. I know he's really young, but, um, you know, I, I think a lot of us were banking on Blake Swihart being that guy. So that's a really interesting wrinkle to it. Yeah. And I mean, he may yet come around on the other hand, like, you know, you don't want too many positions where you're only getting a glove, but the fact that their shortstop is one of the top two or three, I guess probably one of the top two, two or three, I guess, Correa, Machado, and Bogart, so the top three offensive shortstops, you know, all-around shortstops in, in the game right now, 
and your center fielder is one of the top 10 offensive players in the game right now and is a tremendous defender. Like there was a time when you were willing to carry Jackie Bradley, even though he was hitting 200 right and now he's phenomenal. So that does make it easier. You know, you probably want to shore up the bats at other places, but it does look like there's, there's a very plausible scenario now where Vasquez is the only glove only player that you'd have to carry. Whereas other teams maybe carry glove only players at shortstop and in center field, the Red Sox don't look like they'll have to do that for a very long time. So it would make it easier to carry Vasquez, even if he's not that good. You know, I mean, you don't, I think his OPS now is like 550. I don't think you want that. But if he could be a 650 OPS guy, you could live with that. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, Matt, anything else you want to ask Brian before we uh, get him out of here? No, poor Brian's had a long day. I think you should let him go to bed. I know. You're not going to throw any more names. I've, I just got my glove on. I can study <laughs> for names. No, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe another time. Okay. All right. Well, Brian, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate all your insight. Uh, again, you can follow Brian uh, on Twitter at Brian MacP and um, follow his writings over at Providence Journal. So all great stuff there. And, uh, Brian, thanks so much again. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. This was fun. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. That was awesome. We had Brian McPherson on, uh, as you just heard. So some great insights for him and no doubt uh, some things that we're going to be marinating on uh, on this show for the next few weeks, especially as the trade deadline comes into focus. Yeah, there's uh, there's going to be a lot of names, and I get the sense there's going to be a lot of changes. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of scared, but but this can't keep happening. So <laughs> this this being what happened tonight on Monday, where the Red Sox just get blown out in the first inning again. So um, I guess at a certain point, you just have to embrace change. Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be a lot of a lot of changes to come for sure, uh, considering. Um, Dombrowski's history so um, that's that's what you have to think the upcoming schedule for the Red Sox though we won't get into depth too much because we're already going a little bit long on the podcast today um, but the upcoming schedule is at Tampa which we've seen the first game of tonight and it was terrible um, <laughs> we also have uh, the LA Angels at home another last place club so uh you know, we're getting some softies here, but there are no softies for the Red Sox at this point. Uh, out of these, uh, Archer Porcello might be interesting. Uh, and then Rodriguez was scheduled to sh- start versus Matt Shoemaker, but with his demotion, um, we don't know who that is going to be uh, during that start. And also seeing Shoemaker could be kind of cool because he's been a guy that we've talked about a little bit as a potential trade possibility. So, being able to see him might be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you make a great point when you say that there's really no no patsy. I mean, the Red Sox just got blown out by a team that hadn't won in 11 games. So, um, yeah, what they need to do is just start start winning some games or at the very least start making themselves competitive through nine innings. I think that that might even be um, – you might even start to look at that as, as like a, you know, as a baby step, a step forward where the, you know, um, where, the, where Porcello comes out and gives up three runs over, you know, six or seven innings and the, the team loses three to two. You, you, you'd almost take that at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll, we'll take anything, um, to, to give one last stat to the people out there, uh, before we go ahead and end this recording, um, as Jason Master Donato, uh, pointed out on Twitter today after the loss, uh, this was the 11th loss of the season after scoring five runs for the Red Sox, uh, which is worse than the American League. So we cannot stress this enough. Uh, Dombrowski, please just go out and get us some pitching. It needs to be done. It does. All right, so with that, um, you can go ahead and follow the show. Uh, find us on Twitter. Uh, you can it find. Sounds so defeated, man. I was just thinking this. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm trying to avoid it, but yeah, it's it's late, and the Red Sox keep losing. I don't know why I'm so defeated. Let's let's say say this again. You can find me on Twitter at at devjake. You can find Matt at Matty Matty 2000. I've memorized your Twitter handle. Uh, 
That's right. It's a, uh, it's a party and a Twitter handle is what it is. That's right. And uh, you can also rate and review the show on iTunes. But only uh, if you have nice things to say. Only, well, yeah, we're only taking nice comments at this point because our little hearts can't hold. Uh, no, can't, we can't, can't stand the sadness. Can't withstand it. Um, and then you can also rate and review us at uh, Stitcher. We are available there as well to, to subscribe to. So, yeah, definitely subscribe to us because we're the best and we get awesome guests like Brian McPherson. Yeah, that was, uh, that was fun. Yeah, so that was sweet. And uh, we will see you next time for episode 14. Uh, and until then, uh, be well and good luck to the Sox.